0: After all this, you still...
1: I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver.
0: Hello again, dear listeners. We're back for another year. That's right. I was avoiding uh, some of the hot takes uh, surrounding January the 6th because uh, that's what started this show last year and I'm, I'm frankly tired of it. It's like it happened a year ago. Guys, come on. let's Let's move past this um crazy shit happened in the world um but at the time of the this recording uh and hopefully this gets released uh not too long after uh it is january 17th martin luther king day um and this is a special uh day for people of my ethnic background (laughs) Uh, my ethnicity is dude with black wife god so yes uh it is me and sky uh on today's episode just wanted to quickly delve into um mlk's life and work specifically because uh the topic of mlk i think is very useful to analyzing some of the topics we discuss pretty regularly on the greenhouse uh namely about how ideas are constrained uh, by popular discourse and are deployed to means that are intended to limit rather than broaden the scope of people's political logical spiritual whatever imaginations they have and I know that sounds like a lot of words that are mumbo jumbo and guess what all words are mumbo jumbo um but given the topic and given how many uh politicians influencers businessmen and the likes are going to be misquoting mlk all
2: day today random white women who literally don't care about black people any other day of the year and still don't but they'll use an mlk quote to make themselves feel better
0: of course because this is again like this is the discourse, this is uh, the takes economy, and on MLK Day, we observe this day uh, by getting our MLK takes in. <laughs> um, no, I don't intend to do all of that. I think I wanted to kind of expound on these kind of popular misconceptions about MLK's work and legacy, and how he kind of gets discussed um, in American society. Uh, But I wanted to start our discussion um, with a Stuart Hall quote, which is, race is the modality in which class is lived. Uh, He said this in about 1978. And I think um, that is a statement that should temper how we ought to start talking about race um, in more of a left-wing context and in one that doesn't prescribe representation as the only solution uh to the inequality in our society
2: i've had so much representation in different places but guess what nobody represented me in a job that pays well
0: and that's that's kind of um the arc of mlk's career that we never got to see actually Mm -hmm. was um this drive to start linking the winds of the civil rights movements uh, to the poor people's campaign that was unfortunately cut short um, with his untimely passing um so to get back to you know our initial topic let's kind of talk about this weird civic religion we have in America and i kind of see it in I know I always talk about liberals have this reverence of institutions and figures. um, But I think framing it in this context gives it a little bit more of light. Because I think uh, last year I would say this term like fifth grade civics. Like some people have not graduated past fifth grade civics. But Mm -hmm. that view kind of comes from That reverence of institutions, this kind of view of America's founders as um, these kind of philosopher kings who chose democracy because it was the morally and logically right thing to do, fully obscuring um, the racial and class hierarchy uh, that this system is based on.
2: And that's literally in the Constitution that will say white men and then people like actually land only land owning white men. And people will be like, well, the Constitution says we all have to be free. No, the Constitution doesn't. (laughs) It actively did not say we all have to be free. It has amendments (laughs) to say that we can be free
0: yeah i'm not I'm not sure about like the what the specific text is because I'm not fucking reading it but <laughs> what do you what do I look like a lawyer but it's like that that fundamentally is the founding assumption of the people who wrote this of you know this is a system designed for the the wealth owning class basically and that's why it's an order that I find is quite resistant to change because it's it, It is a system that they deemed fair, but also uh, resists change to that order, which is where we get injustice in society, I would argue. Um, And in that mold, you know, that's where we get this kind of deification of figures like Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Madison, Abraham Lincoln gets on that list, even though he doesn't have any of the same principles as them.
2: Hamilton.
0: But, um... Curse Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, my God. Fie upon Lin-Manuel Miranda and all his works.
2: The, um, the really funny thing about Hamilton is the thought that not only these people of color playing these tragically white people, um, but that... <laughs> like, what if Alexander Hamilton caught to the future... Watch Hamilton and just truly he would have blew his brains out like well, and, then, and then like <laughs> there are the
0: people who are like, no, he was one thirty second saint Croatian and i'm like you you do realize that wouldn't count for shit back in the day, right literally
2: even then, or even now, like I, it, 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 in any time, <laughs> any time. Like, oh he was he was in favor of the manumission
0: society to do what send them back to Africa
2: there you go so. Yes. Drop us off in Africa somewhere. Y'all don't even know where we were at. So
0: I of course, not to not to delve too too long on these figures, I invoked them because um our modern civic tradition at least, you know <laughs> have you seen that meme of like the it's Peter Parker putting the glasses on and he doesn't have the glasses on and it's like US history and then, like, he puts the glasses on and says, White dude highlight reel. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 Those that's, that is what American civic religion is in in broad strokes. And MLK is one of the few black figures among, a, among some others. Like, there's Thurgood Marshall. Um, I'd say the Tuskegee Airmen. Um, The kind of, like, very safe to describe as heroes during Black History Month that people don't get too offended about when you mention them. And MLK is kind of seen as this very sanitized version of MLK. He's part of this, you know, this list of great Americans. Like, in that white dude highlight reel, he's in the honorable mention section, you know? (laughs) Um and it, it, it's funny because everyone, like, you, you know, if you take someone with that just base understanding and you ask them, okay, what was MLK's big thing? They're just like, oh, he made the, I made the dream speech, right? Which is broadly what our cultural memory uh, has of him. is just, he's this guy who made this speech and ended racism. And Same the- way Obama got elected and ended racism.
2: And the... The idea that comes out of the I Have a Dream speech, the only thing people actually retain from that is that, like, one day he wants little black girls and little black boys and little white girls and little white boys to be holding hands and everything. And, like, that's literally ever since then, the idea was to have a rainbow full of children holding hands, and that's going to end racism. And that's what people still think MLK is about
0: right and like i wanted to i'm i'm going to just quote the outline verbatim at this point um is they played this film in elementary school <laughs> and we we i just we rewatched the climax of the movie so like i could ha- be on the same wavelength as you uh if anyone remembers our friend martin which was a a cartoon film i want to say 1999 was when yeah. it was released yeah
2: that's <laughs> January 2nd, 1999.
0: And, and the funny thing about that movie is, like, it's the furthest extent. Because I think, you know, based on how fucked our, our education system is, you know, the civil rights era is kind of already this glossed-over segment. I Some schools teach the lost cause, so there you fucking go. But, you know, I think the broad strokes of it, and at least speaking for me... I grew up in a diverse suburb, but it was, you know... I wouldn't say there was a plurality of black students when I was growing up. And the kind of line of history we got... Was kind of like... Slavery happened and it was horrible. And then MLK changed everything. (laughs) And... um, This movie is probably like a the only like deep exposure on mlk's life that a lot of people got uh in public school and <laughs> i just uh the premise of it is like uh these kids kind of go back in time to meet mlk but it's an alternate history where like he never did any of the things he did in his life and like southern style racism still persists
2: and instead of being the school being called Martin Luther King Jr. It was It was called like an alternate A Robert, Robert E. e. Lee, <laughs> Lee High
0: School. It was it was terrifying. It was it was terrifying. He's like he's going through it. Oh. He's they're enjoying like all of these like these classic hallmark moment racism. Oh,
2: just uh, just amazing. Like his friend his friend that was white just started being racist to him and like the guy who was kind of the bully was, like, even more of a bully and super Yeah, yeah, because in the normal part of the movie, it's like,
0: he's a bully, but it's only because he has such a bad attitude. Right. And he's a bully to everyone, not just black people. But then in the alternate timeline, it's like,
2: he's a bully, and the guy who... Would grow up to do lynchings, like that's. Oh yeah, very. Oh, not even just grew up. You know, he was the one of the kids
0: underage lynching. He was literally one of the kids
2: that fucking was in the KKK uniforms up front, staring us like that. And I'm like, "Um, KKK
0: youth division.
2: They, those people are definitely a lot. Of those people are still alive. And when I figure out who you are on site. It's all sight.
0: Yeah, I'd rather not figure this, some of this stuff out. Um, but there is a scene in that movie that I think is particularly telling. And this is why I wanted to say civic religion. Because this movie kind of has this view that Martin himself, this individual, through his personage, we get the the, the drive for racial equality in America. Through him. Not the collective work of the Civil Rights Movement, the SELC, some of his contemporaries like Malcolm X, the Black Panthers who followed, uh, or even some of the work that came before with figures like W.E.B. Du Bois. Like, that is completely out of the picture. And of course, I'm talking about, like, a fucking kids movie. That's what I get for this. <laughs> but... That's the impact it had on me as a young person, and I think, just given how stupid we are as a country, like I'm pretty sure that is most people's gut relation to the subject matter.
2: Oh, I as know well. for a fact that people think that if MLK didn't do what he needed to, he wasn't who he is, who he was, that we would just be stuck. Well, and that's not the, the downplay that
0: like he had charismatic appeal as a leader or that oh yeah. his his, his, like literal oratory as a preacher and as a leader right like
2: the the intersection of him coming together with being southern being a black man being like growing up in um like all these religion like just it, it makes sense for mlk to be who he was but there is this thought that he is that martyr. He is the reason that we are equal, quote unquote equal. But that's but that's
0: exactly it. the martyr the martyrdom is the point because in that movie, it's like this alternate version MLK, looks into the sky and sees
2: like James Earl Jones as his dad.
0: Like giving him the thing that would drive
2: him to like become a theologian. Like Lion King, Black Panther, (laughs) every other like This modern media is so derivative. Why why we gotta have black people just in the sky, like black people, stay away from the clouds. We, you can fly, but leave black people in the clouds alone. We just want to be on ground.
0: Well, okay, so that's the thing. Is like he sees that, and then he's like, "No, no, I have to do this," and then he like walks into this doorway that like takes them through back through time and space. He and then ages. He instantly. ages instantly into into the figure of Doctor King. Walks and through a wa- door. Walks through a door and then there's like this cut black and white scene of like the hotel he was staying at, and then just like a gunshot fade to black and then black and white footage of the funeral. And all the mourners. And that's like that's like fucked up for a th- for like a kid to see. It really is. But no, really... no no, but it works because because that view of MLK and that view of history makes him a martyr, and makes it this kind of, like, he shed his blood to bring us racial equality, when I think it's far more complicated than that. And in a sense, like, he is a martyr. I'm not downplaying that there was a lot of sacrifice involved in what he did, that his death was, it was absolutely untimely, and it's absolutely, like, disgusting that we lost, you know, one of the great leaders of... American history to... Especially
2: by the United States government
0: Was the US government involved yes. In this one direct Yes. Shit I gotta I gotta do some reading on this yes. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck dude Okay
2: Okay I will say So The United States government Was um, Linked in the Conspiracy to kill him they settled this in nineteen ninety nine and the King family was only awarded one hundred dollars.
0: Yep. There yeah, I mean there there it is. Is you know like we we can prosecute our own crimes and render judgment unto
2: ourselves and yeah, oh sorry, we did that. Also I'm like okay, you said the conspiracy who who did it? Like, it, it like, I, could, like, I, I mean, like, okay, okay, like, I,
0: I, I don't, I don't, again, because I don't want to delve too deep into some of this, but it's like, right. you know, you know who was involved with uh, Malcolm X, you know who was involved with, uh, why am I forgetting him? Fred Hampton.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I know that they would use the line, like, oh, it couldn't have been us. And with, you know, with Fred Hampton and with Malcolm X, They were violent. They carried guns. But MLK, I think, presented just as much of a threat of power, um, even though his philosophy was Mm nonviolence. And there is something I I did want to say as well. Um, What that kind of apotheosis of MLK does is it it erases the reality of of black struggle uh, in America, down to this like simplistic uh, chain of events, and like like I was saying, like it was explained to me as a straight line from slavery to MLK, and it 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 it, it ignores, you know, a plethora of events and a plethora of struggles along that line, you know, events like the failure of Reconstruction. The great migration urban displacement white flight in vietnam i know some of those events happen after um these are pivotal in shaping the conditions in which mlk found himself in these are pivotal in understanding um the struggle and for you know non-black people who are trying to be allies right now like you need to understand history as a live wire above all else. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you know, performatively uh, engaging the subject matter and performatively, you know, putting up the signifiers. Which, by the way, speaking of signifiers, the uh, the Target Black History Month election, it's looking mids right now.
2: Yeah, it's looking real sad. Like, it was better its first few years... And now they're like, here you go, Blacks. We, we've already done this with you. Let's, let's
0: also talk about, you know, the, the relationship uh, that people, like, tie between the civil rights movement of the past and, you know, BLM now. Which, first of all, let's, let's, let's really talk about, like, how recent this was in America's history. It is not that far back. Uh, there's people alive from that time I mean there's there's still people alive from the great migration but there's people alive from that period um, and just because the photos are black and white like they're out of sight and out of mind of America's public uh, image and of course I think history may have ju- may have just moved faster as media got more complicated but Dare I say it? You know. The the perceived distance that people have to this history, I think, further allows them to start saying shit that's out of pocket and just fixing their mouth to say whatever shit is wrong. Like, oh, say what you want about MLK, but at least he didn't block traffic. I mean, bro, didn't they? Didn't they? Didn't, weren't they walking along whole bridges?
2: He he, very much did block traffic he blocked a lot of traffic like a lot of it people are really mad at it like really mad at him
0: and and in fact like you know like like white people are up in arms <laughs> and, and you know that whole thing about like uh like white people on twitter especially like conservative white people who like really get touchy during like uh police violence stuff and are like well people shouldn't riot like that turns into a default thing and like uh right-wingers who like point to like rioting as like this is why you need to be afraid of black people blah 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 you know people blamed mlk for this shit too they was like there was like a political cartoon i want to say of like it was like uh this broken window or whatever and the press talking mlk and mlk just saying like Oh, it was a peaceful protest, you know. All manner of protest and all manner of um, struggle and resistance is going to be dismissed by the status quo because it is a challenge to it. And I, I wanted to, you know, reread this classic line because it under it, it outlines. The process of struggle and it outlines why these events happen so in mlk's words this is him uh, speaking on riots like the the riots are the language of the unheard quote so in his words <clears throat> let me say as i've always said and i will always continue to say that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating ellipsis but in the final analysis a riot is the language of the unheard and what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few reels, few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our, nature, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winter of delay, winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. And this was uh, during his "The Other America" speech.
2: Damn, you. Were prescient. Great but
0: but it's like it's it's very prescient that like. He said that, and to be honest, that's kind of um, an astute analysis of what happened in 2020 Mm -hmm. with that cycle of uh, BLM protests. It was quite literally
2: the exact same. It was, he, like, you could have told me that insert black leader activists from 2020 said that, and I'll be like, yeah, go off. And then you could have been like, that was MLK. And I would have been like, oh, my God, I cannot believe history is repeating itself over and over the exact same way. That's crazy. Well, because, because again, like, these structures have not
0: fundamentally changed. I think we might have a more open dialogue these days. But, you know, the systems and structures that replicate systemic racism, which are rooted in how class manifests in America, have not been changed. Um, and, com- and coming to that point, I think MLK had an astute analysis of this linkage. He was able to explain um, the ways in which capitalism is somewhat responsible for some of these problems. So... In a letter to Coretta Scott, addressed July 18th, 1952. I imagine you already know that I am much more socialistic in my economic theory than capitalistic. Capitalism started out with a noble and high motive, but like most human systems, it fell victim to the very thing it was revolting against. Which is one way of looking at the French Revolution, I suppose. So today, capitalism has outlived its usefulness. In a statement uh, to a New York Times reporter, he said, In a sense, you could say we're involved in the class struggle. Uh, In a speech to the SCLC SCLC board, uh, this is a famous quote of his, The evils of capitalism are as real as the evils of militarism and the evils of racism.
2: Damn, he had all the points. And that's why they killed him. Well, <laughs> and I mean, going, going back to
0: like the quote we started this episode with, which is, you know, race is the modality through which class is felt in America. I think King and many other black leaders of his generation were astutely aware of this. I'd say, you know, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, and others, I think, took that analysis even further. But you know, King is kind of the gold standard uh, lefty uh, mainstream on this one. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I think people also need to remember that him being not only a Christian, but a pastor and a pastor's son shaped his framework so much that he only started to get away from Matt when he was towards the end of his life. Which he got with experience,
0: and that's that's something to be said about the state of faith and some of these mystical subjects these days, right? Is like there is a real felt sense in MLK's Christianity. There is a real felt sense in someone like John Brown's Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm not really here to proselytize or uh you know encourage like oh you got to be religious to be moral. I I that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that like the institution of of organized religion for whatever reason these days is like atrophied. It's hollow. Uh I I'm not sure how people relate to it in the same ways. And I feel like it's more suborned. Uh, to the status quo than anything else it doesn't have that uh, revolutionary capability uh, to join people together love is one of those things that's like kind of not felt anymore I kind of wonder like you know is there a place for love in today's struggle or are we past it and we're stuck with reason we gotta reason people out of their, their ways we gotta reason people into this stuff or you know, struggle in like a more confrontational sense is what we have left. I don't know. But the intersection of class and race and where you could take the winds of the civil rights movement further were kind of embodied in King's uh, latter support of the Poor People's Campaign, um, and it was supposed to be a uh, um, another march on Washington, um, and it was supposed to involve you know workers of all races, and it was mainly um, in response to like the strike by sanitation workers to protest their conditions. So you had this real potential for cross-racial lines labor lines anti-poverty lines to like start questioning um you know the underpinnings of this system and why uh you know perpetuates violence at home and abroad because again mlk was also kind of pushed away uh for his opposition to vietnam and at this point, you know, LBJ's Great Society is in effect. They think they can solve, uh, you know, poverty and racism with effectively the welfare system and uh, with their specific brand of uh, the Democratic Party's action i don't think it was transformative enough ever and combine that with uh maintaining just this losing struggle in vietnam um it's counterintuitive it's counterintuitive to making progress on those grounds and he i don't it's it's just it's so sad to see him make this this link and kind of start on another project before his untimely demise and it's something that in the apotheosis of mlk we fully see the abandonment of you know fighting poverty and you know defending labor this these these aspects of the democratic party that once were there are now gone and it is fully uh, if, if there's any action to be taken on racism, it's solely on cultural lines. You know, let's get more, let's get more black producers and TV shows. But when it comes down to, I don't know, reversing the harshest aspects of the drug war, when it comes down to fundamentally assessing how de-industrialization de- de- hurts black communities and also working class white communities, when it comes down to, uh I don't know, how our police system uh, keeps so many people in jail for crimes that are kind of out of proportion for their sentences.
2: Or just stupid. Like, why does someone need to go to jail because they were stealing a small amount of merchandise to survive? Like... <laughs>
0: Yeah it's like it's like instead of sweeping um this critique of America under the rug by taking the person who made the critique and putting him in a glass case they fundamentally got the same result of putting it under the rug um so yeah i, I the, the only thing i can say that really um was the impetus for this episode was um A very stupid tweet that Hillary Clinton made on the 14th. So I will quote her now. MLK Jr. said, I had hoped that the white moderate would understand that law and order exist for the purpose of establishing justice. And that when they fail in this purpose, they become the dangerously structured dams that block the flow of social progress. That was the MLK quote. Finishing Hillary Clinton's tweet, this is a sub Now, of course, I've been saying for a while on the show, get the fuck off of Twitter. I regret to inform you I have failed on this. <laughs> this being said, I think this is the prime example of how MLK's entire body of work, his image, and his uh iconography in America's civic religion are used to invoke uh responses and to be used as a tool to beat people over the head now i'm assuming the person who is the subject of the subtweet who do you think it is is it bernie or
2: brandon let's go brandon um <laughs> Honestly, I truly couldn't know because you you also can't These are the exact bitches that you cannot pay attention to when they're actively not only subtweeting but telling you that they're subtweeting. Like any Because first of all, like why white, white, white moderate?
0: That's you. That's you, Hillary. You
2: bitch, you. It's always been you. Um, but like literally any white woman who gets on Twitter uses a quote from someone who's dead and probably very completely opposite of her, especially as a subtweet. Don't worry. She's a, (laughs) she's a, (laughs) don't listen to her. Um, she's fucking ridiculous. Like Hillary Clinton, who said that Trump was so bad. And then, you know what she did during this last election? nothing
0: no she released a hulu documentary yeah she, she said
2: this is how bernie hurt me <laughs> dumb bitch it,
0: and it's just i i i honestly see mlk now as like this cudgel that democrats use to beat uh their base of black voters you know what i mean it's like hey we got the civil rights pass it's, you know you gonna vote for us now or what who else are you going to go for who else are you voting for come on come on guys there's no one else but us it's it's i don't know it's another instrument the the invocation of mlk's name uh to discipline and browbeat uh the black community and any attempt at progress or questioning the power of the democratic party and its uh its establishment you know I think that's among the most toxic um, strategies it employs. But I also wanted to say that, you know, for as much as the Democratic Party claims MLK as one of their own and claims the victories of the civil rights movement um, in its civic tradition, it really needs to fight harder uh, when it comes to defending voting rights and shit. And I I haven't like commented much on this issue. I haven't been paying that much attention. Um, but we've all kind of seen this uh, general push to restrict voting and uh, kind of devalue the process in some states, which, to be honest, you know, voter participation has remained low for very obvious reasons. One is that, you know, people don't have the faith that they're going to get what they would need out of it. But also there's, there's, an, there's an old slogan, I forget where it comes from, but it's like, you know, if voting mattered, they would they would make it illegal. And that kind of seems to be true in some places these days.
2: People who think that, think that is true and then don't understand how voting has been illegal for black people for the longest time, for women for a very long time, and how there are groups that are still being discriminated from voting, such as people who are deemed as criminals, Um, there's a lot of black people and other people of color who are just not giving the opportunity to vote. They aren't able to take off work. There's just literal barriers from the voting.
0: And it also like
2: kind of deeps and
0: delves into this, like this kind of liberal anti-Southernism where there's like, oh, if we just separated from the South, we'd be better. Oh, it's these dumb Southerners. And it's like, buddy, do you know how many like people are gerrymandered? out of like having a call. Do you know how many people are like uh forced into working long hours or are felons and can't vote because of like some stupid sentence they got a while ago?
2: Also, do you know how many people um just I
0: there's like there's there's so much we do in this country like, I, I, I have my critiques of, of voting. I have my critiques of, you know, this, this inordinate amount of faith that people put into elections. But at the same time, if we're talking about them like, we ma- like they matter and we want to honor, you know, MLK and we want to honor, like, uh, the victories of the civil rights movement, it is incumbent on liberals especially. It is incumbent on liberals especially not leftist because we've been saying this for a while now but don't take that as like a chance to rest on your laurels but it is incumbent on the democratic party and their their patronage networks to really take this question seriously you know um why is this base being pushed out of voting for you why is this like steadfast base now having reservations about you Why are people being turned away from the polls? Why can't people come out to vote?
2: That's the thing is they don't care. And that's
0: precisely it.
2: And like when you really think about like a lot of people like these moderate people are there's moderates on both sides of Democrats and Republicans and Right now, they're very much looking at their democ- like looking at their base, who they would be, who will be in their communities, who will be their constituents, and they are changing their political affiliation for that. So, like, what, like, well, yeah, because
0: it's the turnus turn is to the suburbs now. The turn is to the suburbs. Yeah, are the most it's comfortable how to get this,
2: all the suburbs or how to get the majority of the suburbs so you can win. And these these people never cared about. Not only us, but they don't care about our right to vote. They care about us voting for them, but they don't care about the the right to vote for in elections. And they don't want us to actually vote in elections. They don't want to make that easy. They don't want us to be able to do that online or like mail in. What? Why? Can I do almost everything else online?
0: Because this is like the barest level of of engagement people have.
2: Literally, it's the
0: only like it,
2: everything else online, and I can't cast my fucking vote.
0: Like you can't, you can't. It's so difficult to like start a union or join a union now. Uh, you know, you don't even have the time to like uh, join a group or an organization. Not that that's the only way to do
2: it. You gotta have one million dollars to even have a house
0: like people are spending all their time fucking working or like uh are just so beaten down by the world and the process around them that they see no they see no point in engaging it and i quite frankly it's just it's just reached a point where like mlk is a cudgel to beat the black base the black base is a cudgel to be progressive or left wing challenges uh to the democratic party's order uh and i don't think we are in an age uh, that understands the that one does not respect the struggle that went into this, but also um, takes for granted uh, the black struggle uh, as a thing to be subordinated f- uh, uh, for for the Democratic Party, and it's it's a uh, how do I how do I put this man with With someone like like Joe vibin Joe Brandon um you know, with his comments of shit like well if you don't vote for me, ya ain't black oh. or um that call that was leaked with uh other you know uh black civil rights groups where he was kind of just saying like uh, you guys have to compete with the Latinos for attention now, you know like oh. it." it, it it's it's frustrating to see that, you know, at this point, this core constituency of modern liberalism has been like tossed to the wind, and I don't I, I that loyalty you know is going to be difficult to win back if Shitsar c- continues to go downhill. Just speaking on an electoral perspective, it's not the only way that this struggle will proceed, or that that's the only avenue change happens on. Just saying. And then Kamala Harris's invocation, you know, of "I was that girl on that bus," only you to then like on to, that bus, bitch. Only to continually like
2: cynically deploy identity, you know. It's, um, her identity only matters. Nobody else's identity matters. Don't worry. It,
0: it kind of, in in a funny sense, you know, the culture war it, it does dominate everything the items in the culture war have lost their meaning and are now just like a tool to beat people over the head with. And I would say, you know, if you're just a a decent human being listening to this, God knows what reason, or, you know, you're a committed leftist or whatever, whatever, whatever label you give yourself that makes you feel good. makes you feel warm inside, whatever. Um, There was a struggle, uh, in this time period. There was a struggle by figures like MLK, and if it's not just the, you know, these leadership figures, it was a movement, a mass movement of struggle that got so far and had so. There's so much work that we got to pick up in the present moment, and understanding that is far more important than engaging in these rituals of America's civic uh, religion. It limits you to understanding um, our, you know, history, our shared history as people. But um, it, it limits, you know, the extent to which anything good happening means anything. These things don't exist to prop up the system. They exist to challenge it. Challenging the system is a good thing. Thinking critically, feeling critically about this stuff is not a bad thing. If this existing order is is going to fall, so be it. Some of these things are not worth defending in the face of something more meaningful. Meaningful.
2: Also, y'all think that you, you one person is going to stop everything from being destroyed. I would love to see you try. Waste your energy. Waste your time.
0: In, in in conclusion, um, it was good. It was good to get an episode out. I apologize for how haphazard and how, um, you know, distracted this may have seemed. If this was bad, yeah, I'm sorry. But, again, uh, I'm not an expert on a lot of this stuff. I'm not even um, an amateur with some of this. I'm woefully, woefully ignorant about some of this stuff. I'm just trying to speak, you know, from experience and from observation. And hope that, you know, there's some kind of indirect conversation and cross pollination that comes from this. But I think, you know, with things like MLK's legacy, if that's something that means something to you, it has to um, come with the recognition that we have institutions and structures that we invest meaning with. And to preserve those meanings, we will uh believe and think all manner of crazy things uh and i think mlk day is as good a way for us to reflect on that reality and to reflect on the ways in which someone's life work and statements remain powerful impressions For our conditions today. And how they can be used and. uh, Leveraged. By the powers that be. To keep people in check and in line. So that's enough from me. Uh, Sky, any closing thoughts from you? Uh,
2: Don't suck. Please be nice to people um please stop being racist and don't be
0: racist please
2: please um and if you are a person like me who do who does believe that voting does matter i don't i'm not gonna say vote for the next president because i don't know what kind of fuck shit that's gonna be nor do i care but Your local elections, your state government, those elections so do matter. And that matters not only to you, but for the things that are happening around you. So if you are someone who does think voting matters, make sure you start to think about, okay, if I can't get the presidential race to be important, how can I at least start getting people all around me, able to vote, not just want to vote because that's a whole nother struggle, but able to vote that includes immigrants and uh, felons and, or whatever. I don't like the word felons, but (laughs) well, some
0: people are legally barred from being able to vote. Yeah.
2: People who legally cannot vote working with those systems to make it like legally that they can creating uh, situations where people can do more mail-in votes. I know people really love talking about make it a holiday like people don't still fucking work on holidays Um, so voting day as a holiday isn't just gonna fucking change everything because some of us work all of the holidays Um, but making it a way that society changes how We not only we see voting, but how we vote, because it's not working for the 21st century. (laughs) And I think, you
0: know, voting is one aspect of this. I think what I was speaking to more is like how people only see elections as the only like
2: thing to do, only
0: thing to do, only forum that they can express change. But I think what you're saying is absolutely correct is like it takes a mass struggle. It takes mass effort. It takes collective projects and efforts to get some of this stuff done. And if it's, it's not just the ballot box, it's also, you know, any work to get unions organized, doing mutual aid in your community. Uh, something other than posting, for God's sake. Because all we do, uh, all everyone does these days is just post about how bad everything fucking is. Um, And how we should be scared and anxious all the fucking time, but I'm I'm tired. I'm tired of feeling powerless. I'm tired of this discourse where nothing anyone says they really believe in and anything someone quotes is taken out of context, you know, not even not even to appreciate the person who said the thing just as a tool. The, the quote is a tool rather than uh, an opportunity to, to learn about something or to engage someone else's work. Let the discourse die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, dear listener, uh, for your patience. Sorry it took so long to get this episode up. This may be a bit shorter than ones in the past. Uh, I did my best with editing. Um, My apologies if it seems somewhat choppy. Uh, The show is Greenhouse Gaslighting. You can follow us on Twitter at at @podgreenhouse. We got all the links to our social media in the description below. Uh, A belated Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, I'm still working on developing a consistent schedule and consistent litany of topics. Um, it's kind of odd when I'm saying we should act more and then I still want to keep this project running I'll find a way to square it away in my head and so will you uh, but until then I'll see you in the greenhouse next time take
1: care a passionate plea to my beloved nation this speech is not addressed to Hanoi or to the National Liberation Front It is not addressed to China or to Russia nor is it an attempt to overlook the ambiguity of the total situation and the need for a collective solution to the tragedy of Vietnam. Neither is it an attempt to make North Vietnam or the National Liberation Front paragons of virtue nor to overlook the role they must play. And the successful resolution of the problem, While they both may have justifiable reasons to be suspicious of the good faith of the United States, life and history give eloquent testimony to the fact that conflicts are never resolved without trustful give and take on both sides. Tonight, however, I wish not to speak with Hanoi and the National Liberation Front But rather, to my fellow Americans, since I am a preacher by calling, I suppose it is not surprising that I have seven major reasons for bringing Vietnam into the field of my moral vision, that is, at the outset a very obvious and almost facile connection between the war in Vietnam and the struggle I and others have been waging in America few years ago, there was a shining moment in that struggle. It seemed as if there was a real promise of hope for the poor, both black and white, through the poverty program. There were experiments, hopes, new beginnings. Then came the build-up in Vietnam, and I watched this program, Broken and eviscerated as if it were some idle political plaything of a society gone mad on war, and I knew that America would never invest the necessary funds or energies in rehabilitation of its poor, so long as adventures like Vietnam continue to draw men and skills and money like some demonic destructive suction tube. So I was increasingly compelled to see the war as an enemy of the poor and to attack it as such. Perhaps a more tragic recognition of reality took place, and it became clear to me that the war was doing far more than devastating the hopes of the poor at home. It was sending their sons and their brothers and their husbands to fight and to die in extraordinarily high proportions relative to the rest of the population. We were taking the black young men who had been crippled by our society and sending them 8,000 miles away to guarantee liberties in Southeast Asia, which they had not found in southwest Georgia and East Hollywood. So we have been repeatedly faced with the cruel irony. Watching Negro and white boys on TV screens and they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schools. So we watch them in brutal solidarity, burning the huts of a poor village but we realized that they would hardly live on the same block in Chicago. I cannot be silent in the face of such cruel manipulation of the poor. My third reason moves to an even deeper level of awareness, for it grows out of my experience in the ghettos of the North over the last three years, especially the last three summers. I have walked among the desperate, rejected, and angry young men. I have told them that Molotov cocktails and rifles would not solve their problems. I have tried to offer them my deepest compassion while maintaining my conviction that social change comes most meaningfully through nonviolent action. But they ask, and rightly so, what about Vietnam? they asked if our own nation wasn't using massive doses of violence to solve its problem, to bring about the changes it wanted. Their questions hit home, and I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. For the sake of those boys, for the sake of this government, for the sake of the hundreds of thousands trembling under our bounds, I cannot be silent.